Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. This episode is sponsored by Hum Nutrition, a leading vitamin brand on the forefront of wellness. Hum is best known for Flatter Me, a digestive enzyme that debloats fast and went viral on TikTok. Rooted in science and backed by clinical research, HUM offers clean and targeted formulas that help you reach your wellness goals. From gut and skin health to vaginal and hormonal balance, HUM has specific solutions that work for you. HUM Nutrition's bestseller, Flatter Me, is the ultimate de-bloating hack. It's so easy for you. All you have to do is take one small capsule before a meal, and it helps you enjoy all of your favorite foods without the bloating aftermath. Flatter Me is clinically tested to de-bloat fast and works after only one use. Head to humnutrition.com, that is H-U-M nutrition.com, and get 40% off your first order with code GARAGE. Reach your wellness goals and head to humnutrition.com, that is H-U-M nutrition.com today as this offer expires soon. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always, here is my co-worker. And here at True Crime Garage, the hours aren't great, but hey, you get to meet a lot of interesting people. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the captain. Don't worry, boss. I'll clean those toilets. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are still slow sipping this fine stout from the good peeps over at Magic Hat Brewing Company. This one is called Heart of Darkness. It's a delicious dark stout beer with some hints of chocolate to smooth everything out a bit. Garage grade three and three quarter bottle caps out of five. And here's a cheers to some of our friends who get a five out of five all day, every day. First up is Inger in Oslo, Norway. And a big We Like Your Jib goes out to Donna in Cookville, Tennessee. And last but certainly not least, we have Jennifer Provan from Glasgow. She says, Bonnie, Scotland. Thanks to everyone who put beers in the fridge for us this week. They all went to our website, truecrimegarage.com, and contributed to the beer fund. And for that, we thank you. And for that, we say B-E-E-R-R-U-N, beer run. For everything true crime, check out truecrimegarage.com. we got a great store page there. Sign up on the mailing list. You can check out the new releases that we put out on YouTube. 
And Colonel, that's enough of the business. That's right, Captain. When the boss ain't looking at work, make sure you're listening to True Crime Garage on YouTube. All right, kiddos, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Yesterday, we discussed the unsolved homicides of three what were described as vulnerable female victims. We also discussed a couple of suspects in one or two of those cases. Today, we, we start off by talking about an additional suspect here. And oddly enough, this is a man whose name we have mentioned before, but we've not gone into great detail about. This is Michael Bologna. I could go for a nice fried Bologna sandwich. 35-year-old treasure hunter described by his friends as a generous Mr. Lonely Hearts is a common denominator in the Florida Keys murder mystery, according to police. Investigators from the Monroe County Sheriff's Office said that they have questioned Michael Bologna because he might know something about two of the unsolved homicides. But they said that there was no physical evidence linking him to either of the two murders that they questioned him about. According to detectives, this is where Michael Bologna becomes very interesting to them for two of these unsolved homicides. One, he escorted the mother of Patty Lanza, the four-year-old victim, to that party on that fateful night on Little Torch Key back in July of 1988. Then the tall, dark-eyed Michael Bologna also dated the third victim, Sherry Parisho, age 39. Right. In fact, it has been determined that she stayed with him for several weeks before she decided to be homeless. She stayed with him for about three weeks, and... This is very weird, right? We have this situation where this guy has very close ties to two of the victims. We should remind everybody out there that there was another individual that was at two of the parties that two of the victims attended shortly before they were killed. And that was a different individual. And the police have said, look, yes, that guy was at both of those parties, but a lot of the same people were at both of those parties. Well, and I sound like a broken record. We have three victims in a short time period murdered and in a small distance. And these aren't large communities. Well, and that broken record must be a Kenny G album because you are one smooth son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And I got the hair to match. The thing that I think we need to really point out here is that while police were talking to him, listen to their statement. Their statement is we are talking to him because he may know something that's much different than being a suspect. Mm -hmm. Them saying he may know something. Well, duh, he might. He, He seemed to have a close relationship, at least at one time with our third victim, Sherry Parisho. That's what my teachers used to say about me. He may know something. We know that his fact that he went with Patty Lanza's mother, Deborah Lanza, to that party the night that Patty Lanza was killed. 
But he wasn't the only one that went to that party with her. According to Deborah Lanza, the victim's mother, we have her four children, and we also have Michael Bologna, who brought two kids of his own to the party with them. And then police go on to say, look, we've not ruled out this Michael guy. Is he a suspect? They're, the media is pushing the police to tell them if he is, in fact, a suspect or not. But what they're saying is they won't rule him out to the media. They will not say that he's not a suspect. But what they do say is the night that Patty was killed, Michael Bologna brought uh, Lanza to the party with her four kids. His son was there as well with him. They go on to say that after the girl went missing, he's still at the party. The mother, Deborah Lanza, says while she couldn't find her daughter at some point, she never, this Michael Bologna was never out of her sight. Right. So he's not a suspect in the mother's eyes. The police go on to say he helped, he assisted in the search after the party, and he was cooperative with police from Jump Street. So I think that this is one of those situations, Captain, where some might call him a suspect, but he only appears to be a suspect as far as the media is concerned, not as far as law enforcement or the family of one of the victims. And it must feel absolutely horrific to have people in the community or or the media insinuating that you might be responsible for the death of a four-year-old. I mean, that's just, that'd be a very tough situation to be involved in. Those murders took place in 1988 and 1989 in the Keys. Now we have to fast forward to many years later to 2004, and we're going to talk about Hurricane Ivan. Some of you may remember Hurricane Ivan. This was a big and powerful storm. And like with many of these hurricanes in parts of Florida, parts of the Gulf Coast, Residents are warned and told and a lot of times to evacuate. Well, in September of 2004, they had an evacuation as well going on for Hurricane Ivan. And two individuals, this is Charlie Brandt and his longtime wife, Terry Brandt, they evacuated their home and they went to go stay with their niece. This is Michelle Lynn Jones. She lived up in Orlando, so this was going to be a safe space away from the hurricane, go up and visit, and from my understanding, Captain, Terry Brandt, the aunt, was very close to Michelle Lynn Jones, her niece, and some reports state that Charlie Brandt was close to his niece as well. Throughout this visit, they go to stay there for several nights, and throughout this visit, we have Michelle Lynn Jones that while she has her house guests, she is going to continue with her daily routines. And part of that is keeping in contact with her mother. The brands would stay there for two weeks before anybody realized that there's anything wrong. That's right. The brands arrived there sometime around September 2nd. And it isn't until approximately two weeks later on the 13th, 14th, 15th that some people start to get concerned, Right. Michelle Lynn Jones and her mother, they're close. They shared several of the same friends. And one of their mutual friends stops by the house on September 13th and was supposed to visit with Jones. Jones says, you know, I don't want you to come in. My aunt and uncle are staying here. They've been drinking and they got into some kind of argument. 
So it's a little uncomfortable. It's a little awkward here right now. Um, maybe you should come back on another date. And we should be clear here too. It's not obvious and it shouldn't be that it, there was any predetermination on how long the Brants would be staying there. I think a lot of that would be determined based off of Hurricane Ivan itself, the storm and the damages that could come with that storm. But by this point, they've been there for well over a week, close to two weeks. And it's on September 15th that another friend of Michelle Lynn Jones, this is Debbie Knight, she goes to the home and she is suspicious of the house, of what she's seeing, of the feelings that she's getting as she pulls up to the house. During this time, the two days that have passed since the previous friend coming over and being turned away by Michelle Lynn Jones, Jones's mother was having a difficult time getting in touch with her. So now we have Debbie Knight, another mutual friend who's at the house, and she's on the phone with Michelle Lynn Jones's mother. She tells the mother that the front door is unlocked. You know, she's knocked, she's rang the doorbell, mom's tried calling her daughter, no response. Shows up, the door's unlocked, and mom says to the friend, go into the house. Try to get, see if you can get into the house. Well, Debbie Knight says that she was so, feeling so uneasy about the situation. She was just getting such bad vibes and this dark, horrible feeling. She was a little scared. So she decided to go next door and grab a neighbor. The neighbor comes back with her and together the two of them enter the home and they walk into a house of horrors. If I'm correct, I believe that the front door was unlocked, but because of this uneasy feeling, they didn't want to enter through the front door. So they were attempting to get into the house and they decided that they were going to go through the garage Well, when they entered the garage, they found Charlie Brandt hanging from the rafters Mm -hmm. with bedsheets. Immediately, these two contact the police, and the police arrive on the scene very quickly. Who they enter the house, and then they the, the house of horrors just keeps getting worse and worse. First, they find this man hanging from the rafters in the garage, and then once they go into the home. They find Terry Brandt had been stabbed multiple times in the chest area. She's lying on the couch, dead. And then they go into the bedroom where they find the homeowner, the niece, Michelle Lynn Jones. She had been decapitated and her heart and organs had been removed. And someone had placed the head next to her body. And in some reports state that it was placed on the nightstand positioned almost as it was looking at the body itself. Yeah. Some people actually believe that somebody combed her hair without going into too much of the horrific details here. They're easily found online if anybody wants to look them up, but it would be 15, 20 minutes of going through detail after detail of disgusting mutilation that took place in this case. The police are able to deduce a few things. One, that the weapons used to murder Terry Brandt and Michelle Lynn Jones 
were knives that came from the kitchen. And they're able to piece together a series of events that goes like this, based off of physical evidence found at the scene. They believed that Charlie Brandt stabbed his wife to death as she sat on the couch. And afterward, he then went into another room where he attacked Michelle Lynn Jones, his niece, and then after killing her, mutilated the body. After this, he decides to clean himself up a bit, takes a shower, changes his clothes, and then at some point takes these bed sheets and hangs himself from the rafters, where later all three bodies are found. Following this discovery, police want to know why would this happen, and two, who exactly is this Charlie Brandt? What they discover is that the Brants were living on Big Pine Key and had been there for many years and had been married for a very long time. So who is this Charlie Brandt? Charlie Brandt was born Eric Carl Brandt, born February 23rd, 1957. In 1986, he married his then-girlfriend, Teresa, who went by the name Terry. The odd thing, though, here, Captain, is no relatives were invited to their wedding. Well, we have relatives and friends from Teresa, from Terry's side, that attend the wedding. We don't have anybody from Charlie's family's side attending the wedding. Later, his sister Angela and her husband, Jim Graves, stayed in contact not just with Charlie and his new wife, Terry, but also were friends with Terry and uh, Charlie. Well, Charlie seemed like a normal guy. He was a good-looking guy. He was a radar technician. But obviously, after this crime and finding what they found in that house, especially the mutilation that was done to this poor victim. It's, yeah, the niece. The niece they're now wondering what, who is this guy exactly? And does he have any other victims? Well, sadly he does. He has previous victims and he has some skeletons in his closet. And the thing here, captain, there's a lot of debate here because Charlie Brandt, Eric Carl Brandt goes by Charlie, but he had actually killed his mother when he was a boy, he grew up in Indiana in 1971, a young Charlie Brandt, then only 13 years old was accused of killing his mother and attempting to kill his father and his sister. Charlie Brandt is accused of killing his mother who was 38 at the time and pregnant and wounding his father. He shot both of them. His father's name is Herbert Brandt, and this took place in January of 1971. He's arrested. There's no mystery as to what happened here because the father survived and the sister survived. And the sister later said that it was very strange because she had no idea that, that Charlie would do this. It was He was even capable of doing something like this. The father who survives has no answers as to why his son would have killed his wife and then attempted to kill him. And his sister states that Charlie almost appeared to be in a trance like state 
And before he could kill her or attack her, he seemed to kind of come to. And he had some general understanding, as far as the sister was concerned, that he had done something wrong. But she says that he wasn't fully aware of what exactly that he had done. And given the laws and the situation at the time in the state of Indiana, even though he had killed someone, his own mother, it was looking like a young Charlie Brandt would not be facing a long or lengthy prison sentence. Yeah, which is pretty nuts because he killed his mom, which was pregnant, tried to kill the dad, and then also tried to kill his sister. How many more people did he have to try to kill? So in Fort Wayne, Indiana in 1971, they decided to take this to a grand jury. The grand jury ultimately decides that a lot of this is based off of testimony from psychiatrists at the time that Charlie Brandt suffered a serious psychotic disorder, which produced the criminal act. And the report said that the jurors believed that Charlie Brandt was mentally incapable of standing trial. And they recommended that he be committed to hospitalization. Well, the problem here, captain, and this is from the experts that say he's a turd. Yes. He committed this horrible act. Yes, the jury decided that he should be hospitalized. However, when we sit down and try to evaluate a young Charlie Brandt, we can't come up with any type of known diagnosis that he fits into. There's no category that he fits into. We think there's something wrong with him. We just don't have a term for it. Charlie himself never really offers up any explanation as to what had happened or why he would do such a horrible thing. Yeah. What was the motivation to kill his mom, which was pregnant with his soon to be sibling. So he was remanded to the custody of the County juvenile court. And we have again, the mother that was shot to death, the father who was wounded. And in fact, in the beginning, the report coming out was that the father was in poor condition and, and may not make it when he was first uh, put into the hospital. We know that he does, in fact, survive. And then we have Charlie Brandt, who, when asked what happened, he says, I felt the urge. I just felt the urge. Everything seemed to snap. That's about as much as he offers up that makes it to the public as to why he would kill his mother and attempt to kill his father. I found this to be very strange, but of course, this is a very strange scenario all around. But he is released. Oh, God. And released into his father's custody within just about a year and a half, two years' time. You don't have to be a captain to know that <laughs> this seems like a bad decision. Well, here becomes some of the problems for our case, for the case of him killing his niece and killing his wife. It was not 100% confirmed that his wife ever knew that he had killed his mother. There's some speculation that she knew. And in fact, there were people that were still in Charlie's life at the time that had told him, you have to tell Terry, you have to tell her before you get married. And if he did ever tell her, it sounds like he may have told her after the wedding 
Remember we said that at the wedding, none of his family were present. He likely did not want this woman to know, or maybe not just his future wife to know, but her family to know what he had done as a youth. Yeah, these are a couple of things you need to go over, you know, before you get married. Are you currently married to somebody else? Do you have any credit card debt? How about student loans? Do you have any children out there? Oh, by the way, did you kill your mother? Did you try to kill your father? Did you try to kill your sister? These are some things you should know before you get married. Now, the friend that did set them up told Charlie that he needs to tell her about his previous crimes. Right. And he is the one that pushed Charlie to tell Terry. Now, later he says that he believes that that Charlie did tell Terry at some point because he has this friend has a conversation with Charlie's wife, Terry. The conversation that he has with her is shortly after the third victim that we discussed here, Sherry Parisho, was killed. Sherry Parisho, where she lived on that little boat, the dinghy, was just four short blocks from where Charlie and his wife, Terry, lived. Oh, God. The wife, Terry, tells this friend after the homicide that she was thinking about calling the sheriff's department. When he asked, why would you call the sheriff's department? She says, well, in relation to this murder, the Sherry Parisho murder, I think that given the circumstances of everything, I should give them a call. The friend says that later or at the time, more importantly, he took that to mean that she, Terry knew and had been told by Charlie that he killed his mother. And now we have this woman, even all these years later, 39-year-old Sherry Parisho, who was killed, the reports say, four blocks from where they lived. I wanted to make sure that I said four short blocks because I've seen this reported as it was possibly a thousand feet from where they lived. Now, at the time, there was an eyewitness in the Sherry Parisho murder. There was a woman who was driving that night, and this is the night of July 16th. Mm-hmm. She says that she saw a man that she could not identify, did not know the name of this person, crossing the street, U.S. Highway 1, and the man was carrying a knife. Okay. Well, at the time, this is at night, the man is crossing the street. And carrying a knife, not a huge deal. This didn't send off any red flags other than it was memorable to her. Right, or other than the fact that when I go out for my nightly walk, I don't I don't openly just carry a knife with me. But he's walking toward the water. This driver would have no way of knowing that there's a woman living in a small boat on this stretch of water. Mm-hmm. So she provides a description of this individual and in fact they had a composite sketch of the man that she saw that night it wasn't until all of these years later we're up to about 15 years later captain that now they're going wait a second this charlie brant guy who up near orlando florida kills his niece and his wife hangs himself lives very close to where sherry parisha was killed and oh my goodness, he resembles the composite sketch 
of the man seen that night with the knife. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you do if you have an extra hour in your day? Do you go for a run? Do you take a nap? Read a book? Listen to an episode of your favorite podcast, True Crime Garage? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. We're proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Have you ever thought about why your wireless bill is so damn expensive? It's all just radio waves, and how much can a radio wave really cost? Seems like Big Wireless got together and decided, $100 a month? I think they'll buy it. What choice do they have? Now, thanks to Mint Mobile, you do have a choice. For a limited time, all phone plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. So ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get premium wireless service for just 15 bucks a month. I made the switch. I'm enjoying it. The secret is in the sauce over at Mint Mobile. 5G for free, no extra overhead, flexible plan options. Your unlocked device and current phone number are always welcome at Mint Mobile. I made the switch. I love it. You should do the same. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Do you want to set your child up for success? Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Maybe your kid has questions and you don't feel equipped to answer. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. With studies done in almost every state in the country, the kids who had IXL are constantly doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, 
IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. And there's one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. A single hour of tutoring costs more than a month of IXL. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. I know for me growing up, there were courses that I struggled with. Some courses I loved and I excelled. Other courses couldn't keep my interest and I needed to be dialed in. I have friends who are using IXL with their children and they're seeing the results that they wanted. We're talking grade school, middle school. In both cases, they are getting the results that they are wanting and their children are excelling in their courses. Make an impact on your child's learning and get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. You'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. And customize your very own luxurious estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And you can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates, to the windows, to the walls. Cheers to you, Colonel. Cheers to all of you out there in listener land. Thank you for joining us again here in the garage this week. The murders that took place in 2004 in Orlando, Florida, prompted the police to investigate who exactly was this Charlie Brandt. And then they learn about his background growing up, having killed his pregnant mother, they want to figure out how many murders could this dude have been involved in. There's different wounds for the different victims. The mutilation to the niece's body is what I think perks up law enforcement to go, well, where was Charlie at during the time of the murders in the Keys? The crazy thing here too, Captain, is we talk about Charlie Brandt and we went through some of the mutilations done to his niece. It appears that he had some kind of fatuation infatuation with his niece that likely was unknown to his wife and to his niece at the time. He had this bizarre nickname for her. He called her Victoria's secret, which I think is incredibly creepy. Yeah. That 
that <laughs> that rates a uh, hundred on the creepo meter. That should have been some red flags right mm. there. But again, we are not privy to knowing exactly what his wife Terry knew about him or his past. Right. However, when we compare everything that we know about the murder of his niece, the removing of the heart, which was which was done with surgeon-like precision, according to the experts. And then we compare that to the murder of Sherry Parisho, who was living four short blocks from Charlie Brandt's home the night that she was killed. Her heart removed with surgical-like precision. He matches the description giving, provided by the woman who was driving that night as being the man seen crossing the street with a knife. Then we get this weird information that comes out after Charlie Brandt's death that his wife may have suspected him all along in the murder of Sherry Parisho. The way that the story goes and is told to law enforcement by people that knew the couple is that the wife, Terry Brandt, having been awakened to Charlie coming home very late that night, she says she goes and, and confronts Charlie, and he is standing at a sink. They had a, a, a large sink that was in like a mudroom. Charlie was an avid fisherman, and they had this sink in this setup so he could clean fish at this table. Mm-hmm. And he would regularly go fishing. I'm talking multiple times a week. On this particular night, the night that Sherry Parisho was killed, he comes home very late at night and Terry relays to somebody later that he was covered in blood. And when confronted, he had said that he caught a bunch of fish and he was cleaning the fish. This uh, reminds me of Dahmer where they talk about his fascination with the, the shine of the organs. Ultimately, they end up closing out the Sherry Parisho case. And they state, they being law enforcement, that Charlie Brandt was responsible for the murder of Sherry Parisho. And they base this off of some of the things that we've already stated, but also the fact that the mutilation that was done to Sherry Parisho was very similar to what was done to his niece. Yeah, but also couldn't they just pull DNA from the case and, and test that? Yes, they could. Um, if But here's the problem with that is it's not like they could and decided not to, right? If if they had the ability, if they had DNA in the Parisho case, I'm sure they would have t- attempted to connect it to Charlie Brandt. The problem with the Parisho case is she was not sexually assaulted During that attack, there was no evidence to suggest that that took place. Of course, DNA can come from other parts of the struggle. However, again, if they had that information, I'm sure they would have would have tested it Mm -hmm. in such a manner. I would doubt that they're just going to willy nilly say Charlie Brandt killed Sherry Parisho without conclusively believing that, in fact, he did. It's a difficult case. Right. Because in that case, and you're right there, Captain, what they are, what law enforcement is telling us is that the, the mutilation and the cutting out, the removing of the heart is such a rare thing to do by a perpetrator to a victim that 
given the proximity and given the statements that his wife made to people that they know and her suspicion of her husband being involved in the murder of Sherry Parisho, they're basing their case and closing their case on that homicide based off of that information, which is not 100% conclusive. But what that leads us to is prompting the police to reinvestigate 26 unsolved homicides in the state of Florida, dating all the way back to 1973, looking for potential evidence of Charlie Brandt's involvement in those unsolved homicides. So like you're saying, there are so many cases that law enforcement could look at, but they're going to try to narrow that down based off of, look, I mean, there's no way to easy way to say it, but there was extensive mutilation to the victim, his, his niece. And so to, to look at those, look at that mutilation and then start comparing that to other cases and, and kind of narrow it down. So you're not just looking willy nilly at every single unsolved homicide. That's exactly right. And you hit the nail on the head there, captain, when you compared it to Dahmer and with the shine of the organs or the shine of the muscle under the skin what they are saying, what law enforcement is telling us is based off of the extensive mutilation done to his niece, that they believe Charlie Brandt had a proclivity for this type of thing, that that was the drive in the homicides committed by Charlie Brandt, the removal of the heart, the removal of organs, the decapitation, things of that nature. The injuries, the mutilation and such almost mirror one another in Sherry Parisho's case and in the homicide of his niece. So they are looking for cases that are going to be very similar to that. Now, they narrowed that down to 26 cases of interest that they looked at Charlie Brandt. One of them was the 1978 murder of Carol Sullivan, age 12. She was abducted from a school bus stop in September of 1978. Her skull was found in a paint can. She was decapitated, obviously. They never recovered her body. So mirroring her injuries and mutilation to that of Charlie's niece or Sherry Parisho was going to be impossible. Now, I want to say this in fairness to Carol Sullivan's family. Because her family has expressed a concern with connecting Charlie Brandt to the murder of their family member. They have said that at no point ever was Charlie Brandt considered to be a suspect. There were suspects in her case. Suspects that it sounds like the family likes much better than Charlie Brandt. And she comes about to be connected to the Brandt case from the authors of this week's recommended reading. And they don't definitively say that they believe Charlie Brandt killed Carol Sullivan. They just say that he was in the area at the time. And this murder is not terribly unlike murders committed by Charlie Brandt. But in fairness to her family who do not believe he killed her, we will move on from the Carol Sullivan case. The next one is that of the 1988 Lisa Sanders case that we discussed at length. And again, it's debatable what parts of that mutilation were conducted by the killer or conducted by animals. 
That one makes it very difficult to say. And in fact, the removal of organs in that case does not match up, does not line up with the Sherry Parisho case, does not match up or line up with what was done, what Charlie did to his niece's body after she was murdered. And we should go ahead and move on from the Patty Lanza case because we have law enforcement that said back in 88 and in 1989, we don't think this case is connected to these other two. We This is the one that we feel is absolutely not connected to the Sanders case or the Parisho case. And then they say that again in 1990. In fact, they say in 1990 that they have definitively ruled out any connection between the Lanza case and the Sanders and Parisho case. That leads us to a victim that we've not discussed yet. In 1995, a sex worker named Darlene Toller, age 38, her body was discovered near Miami, found in the grassy area off of a highway. Her body was wrapped in blankets and in plastic. When discovered, she was missing her head and her heart. And it's simply the removal of the heart that connected Charlie Brandt by law enforcement to this case. Law enforcement would go on to tell us that Charlie Brandt used that same highway regularly. And one thing that they found that was disturbing to them in their review of these unsolved homicides is the fact that the heart was removed, one, and two, Charlie kept some information that they found interesting. He kept mileage records of his vehicle and of his travels. And on the day of Darlene Toller's murder, Roughly the driving distance between Big Pine Key, where he lived, and the area of Miami where Taller's body was discovered matches up with his records, his mileage records for that day. Well, and it's it's tough with this guy because he is a he is a giant pile of shit. But we should talk about this uh, poster that's on that they found in his bedroom. Yeah, they were going through Charlie's belongings after the double homicide and then suicide committed in 2004. And one item of note was this anatomy poster that was found in the bedroom of Charlie and his wife. And this is a poster that is a female body. And it is the, that you have the muscles and organs on one side, and then you have the skeleton on the other. It's a very, science textbooky type poster but except for that they add hair and put the lady's hair in a bun which is a little strange very strange and you can find that poster if you just google charlie brant poster it comes up we'll we'll put it on our social media as well the thing here is that this one i think in anybody's bedroom this would be concerning he's not a he's not a doctor you know he's not a scientist uh, he's not, it appears that he's studying anatomy, but he doesn't really have any professional or career reason to do so. Well, he's a career murderer, so he needs to study this if he wants to keep cutting victims' hearts out. I would find this to be a weird item to be in anyone's bedroom, especially a married man. But then let's compound that with the fact that we know that he dissected his niece. Yeah. 
And those mutilations mirror that of Sherry Parisho that lived a thousand, twelve hundred feet or so from his home on a night when his wife confronts him and says that he's covered in blood and came home very late. She even says to a friend, maybe we should, I should contact the sheriff's department. Yeah. Duh. After this homicide. This is nuts. When we compare this to Darlene Toller's murder that took place in Miami, it's not a terrible stretch from Big Pine Key to uh, where the body of Darlene Toller was found. And in fact, he has mileage records in his vehicle that back up that he may have gone to that area on the day that she was murdered. Police go on to say after finding things at his home, knowing of his background of killing his mother when he's a kid, the homicides that he did in 2004, look, they found on his computer that he was searching for snuff. Oh, flicky, flicky, flicky. That he was looking for torture videos, that he was searching for autopsy photos. Yeah. This guy had clearly had a fascination of the inside of a person. Well, yes, a sexual fascination. You talk about Dahmer, but this guy reminds me a lot of Edmund Kemper, somebody who killed his grandparents with a firearm when right. he's a teenager, goes away for a while, and when he gets out, he's not just shooting people. He's kidnapping and mutilating the bodies, cutting off the heads. Charlie is cutting off the heads and removing the heart of these victims. And in fact, it was the removal of the heart that the police were focusing in on when trying to connect him to potential other homicides that took place near Charlie Brandt and the time that he lived in Florida. Yeah, I think the difference, though, when you look at Dahmer or Kemper, I mean, you can make an argument in their case, whether it was nature or nurture. I think in the Charlie Brandt case, it's it's his nature. It just seems like he. this is the way he was born. He was messed up from the beginning. And that excerpt from Edgar Allan Poe goes beyond just the idea of the heart. Mm -hmm. That line where Poe says, there was no reason for what I did. I look at the cases of Charlie Brandt and the ones that they are, law enforcement say he is guilty of, the murder of his mother, the murder of his wife, his niece, and the murder of Sherry Parisho. And I can't find it one good goddamn reason why he did any of those murders, let alone all four of them. There's no reason for what he did. The only thing is the only thing that could possibly explain it is that he's, he's not like you and I, captain. He's not like the rest of us. There's something incredibly wrong with this guy and he was so able so easily able to hide it and keep it inside and hide it from everyone when he killed his wife and his niece his friends their family they say they had no idea that this would even have been possible he wasn't a violent individual yeah, as far like as a, they knew again he seemed pretty normal everybody thought he seemed pretty normal everybody thought he seemed pretty intelligent where, where again, I think if we're going to compare people, this this I think leans more towards like a Bundy, where maybe he doesn't have the charisma or anything like that. But 
I, I think Kemper put some people off and uh, with his personality, and I think so did Dahmer. Yeah, and I would bet you that the people closest to Charlie Brandt may have seen some sides of him that aren't so obvious to the rest of us. Maybe they had some things that put them off uh, about Charlie. Mm-hmm. But Detective Pat Diaz, who is just one of many detectives that were working on possible cases that they could connect to Charlie Brandt, he goes on to say that it doesn't, to him, that this is some kind of disease. And he and others would agree that a guy like this just doesn't stop. Doesn't stop somewhere between the three cases, between murdering his mom and then all those years later murdering his wife and his niece. Well, and this is where I, I there's a part of me that agrees with law enforcement that you have to look at you know, the, the mutilation of his last victim. But I think it's probably, you're going to see some kind of escalation. That's what's going to make it a lot more difficult for them because there could have been a gradual escalation to where he ended up at. In the Darlene Taller case, they were trying to scientifically connect it to Charlie Brandt. In fact, they found dog hairs in the bed of his truck. There were dog hairs or animal hairs, I should say, that were found on the blankets that her body was wrapped up in. Right. They sent those away for a comparison for scientific analysis and could not conclusively confirm that those hairs matched one another. So we don't get any scientific evidence to back up the idea of what law enforcement believes is Charlie Brandt having been involved in the murder of Darlene Toller in 1995. But the detective, Pat Diaz, goes on to say, I believe that this is a disease this guy didn't stop in between those three cases darlene toller was found stuffed in garbage bags in south dade county it was almost like the killer delivered us a package with the body left on the side of the road for everyone to find after the murder of darlene toller nine other sex workers turned up dead in south florida According to law enforcement, those cases were very similar to Darlene Toller. For example, some were stuffed in duffel bags or suitcases and made easy to find. And this here, Captain, is from Miami News 7. And they say some very profound things here. And say that because Charlie Brandt was so crafted at killing, and because Charlie Brandt killed himself, the suspicions that Charlie Brandt may have killed 10 to 12, even 14 women may never be confirmed. However, one fact will not change. There were two Charlie Brants who lived in the Keys. And the Charlie Brant that the people didn't know was one of the sickest serial killers in South Florida history. Thank you for joining us here again in the garage, onward and upward, inching our way, just like LeBron James. Just, you know, just we're going to break the record, get to that thousand episodes. We're inching our way. Join us for the journey. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners? This week, we are happy to recommend Invisible Killer, The Monster Behind the Mask by Diana Montaigne and Sean Robbins. Invisible Killer is the true story of 
the crimes committed by Charlie Brandt and some of the crimes he is suspected of committing. This is a very complete telling of the true crime story of this serial killer, along with insights from an FBI profiler and a forensic psychologist. You can check out that recommendation and many more at truecrimegarage.com. Yeah, if you haven't checked out the website, you should do so and pick up some swag while you're at it. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.